Welcome to the Celebrity Estates Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast. In this podcast, we break down high-profile celebrity estate planning cases for advisors and their clients. Most celebrity estate catastrophes are based on the same issues that everyday people face, just with the volume turned up. Our goal is to identify and extract the individual estate planning issues that lie at the heart of each story. We then discuss what advisors should expect and how to avoid common pitfalls. Hosted by WealthManagement.com Senior Editor David Lenock. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of WealthManagement.com's Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous. For anyone new to the podcast, in each installment, myself and a guest take on a different celebrity estate and attempt to extract some key lessons that planners can apply to their more traditional clients. The idea being that celebrity estate planning stories, although often ridiculous in their details, generally have at their cores very basic issues that can just as easily apply to non-famous or fabulously wealthy clients. Our guest today is Rick Kaler. Rick is president of Kaler Financial Group in Rapid City, South Dakota. He specializes in the integration of financial coaching, financial therapy, and traditional financial planning. He became the first fee-only CFP in South Dakota in 1983, and in 2020, he became one of the first certified financial therapist level ones in the nation. He's also the co-author of four books on the psychology of money, Conscious Finance, The Financial Wisdom of Ebenezer Scrooge, Facil Facilitating Financial Health, and Wired for Wealth. Thanks for joining us, Rick. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. So the subject of today's episode is the Oracle of Omaha himself, Warren Buffett. For the tiny percentage of people listening to this podcast who don't know, Buffett is an American investor, business tycoon, philanthropist, and the chairman and CEO of Berkshire Hathaway. He's considered one of the most successful investors in the world and has a net worth of over $100.6 as of April of this year, making him the world's seventh wealthiest person. However, for this episode's purposes, we're less concerned with Buffett's vast success as an investor and more interested in his psychological relationship with money, which is an interesting one. You see, Buffett, although the son of a congressman, is famously thrifty, a word he's had emblazoned on his license plate. He eats a $3 McDonald's breakfast every morning, which he occasionally clips coupons to pay for. And he still lives in the same residence in Omaha, Nebraska, that he brought in 1958 for $31,500, which is the equivalent of about $300,000 in today's dollars. He makes sure to buy reduced price cars, either floor models or vehicles that were lightly damaged and subsequently fixed. He filed his first income tax return when he was 14 years old, and it's attached below in the show notes if you want to check it out. On it, he sought $45 in deductions for the use of his bicycle and watch on his paper route. So the image of the miserly rich guy isn't exactly groundbreaking, but there's a reason I use the word thrifty to describe Buffett and not something more negative like cheap or penurious. Ebenezer Scrooge, he isn't. I noted in the intro that he's currently the seventh richest person in the world. Well, as late as 2008, he was number one. A large part of the reason he's dropped is due to his massive philanthropic efforts. He gives away billions of dollars a year, largely in Berkshire Hathaway stock, to a variety of causes and has signed on to the Bill Gates Giving Pledge, wherein he's vowed to give away 99% of his lifetime earnings. His charitable donations are somewhere in the realm of $40 billion since 2006. Now, part of this generosity is a belief that the wealthy have a responsibility to help right the ills of society, 
But another even more interesting aspect to my estate planning adult mind is a slightly more relatable one. He doesn't want his kids to grow up lazy. He's quoted as saying, the perfect inheritance is enough money so that children feel they can do anything, but not so much that they could do nothing. However, he stressed that one's estate plan and limiting an inheritance, be it through philanthropy or other means, will not be what prevents a child from becoming spoiled or entitled. The attitude of the parents and the environment in which they create for their children will influence this outcome. Warren Buffett has had an extremely complex relationship with money over his life, and unusually, he seems quite self-aware about it and the impact that his views can have on those of his children. Most of us, however, sadly lack this level of insight. Rick, you've written a great deal about what you've termed money scripts. Do you mind explaining just what that term means for our audience? Yeah, would love to. And I, it was interesting as you were talking about Warren Buffett, Of I just jotted down some of the, the potential money scripts that he has. We all have money scripts. What's a money script? Money script is simply a belief about money that we have that typically is subconscious. It's not something that we're, we're really aware of. And in our research and work with people, we have found that typically people have 50 to 200 money scripts that operate 24-7. They touch everything we do, every decision that we make is driven by some belief about money. So the reason we call them money scripts is it's uh, like my, my wife is an actress in our town and she is given a script to, to learn to apply. The, the script is typically written by somebody else. Her job is to memorize it so she can give it spontaneously in that play as if it wasn't memorized, as if she wasn't reciting lines. And money scripts operate much the same way. By the time we're 10 years old, we pretty much have a pretty good worldview of what money is. And that comes from our caregivers, what they say about money, what they don't say about money, what they do around money, what they don't do around money. All of this is information that, that the little mind is taking in as a sponge. And, and David, we know that uh, a kid has no uh, basis on which to judge anything. I mean, a, a three-year-old isn't going to go, Dad, that is a really weird money script. <laughs> or or, or that, that's not how it works, Dad. They take it all in as true. So we, we, uh, we get these scripts, and, and as long as life goes accordingly, there's not a problem. But it's when the circumstances change, when the play changes, when the play changes from Macbeth to Hamlet, and it's always worked to, to quote the lines of Macbeth. And you're quoting Macbeth, but the play is now Hamlet. Disaster ensues. And usually what happens is we double down. Well, this has worked in the past. I'll just do it harder. So, so the, uh, a money script often is pretty inflexible. Uh, a money script could be, for example, one of the money scripts that Warren Bu Buffett could have is that money makes a child lazy. And you could, you could make it really firm by giving money to a child always is harmful, always makes them lazy. Now, that's a money script. Can that happen? Because money scripts are partially true and partially false. It depends on the circumstance. You can give money to a kid 
you could give probably billions of dollars to a kid and it would they would not result in them becoming lazy. But you could probably give $100,000 to a kid that it may result in them becoming lazy. So there's usually about four uh, variations of a money script that are true. Like one of my money scripts is you got to work hard for money. Well, if you work hard for money and money comes in, life is great. And when you work hard for money and the money doesn't come in, that's when the pain point starts. Or you don't work for money and the money comes in. Now that can be a, a real problem for an inheritor. And of course you can not work for money and money not come in. So we got four variations on that money script. And so that, I think really, if I'm understanding you correctly, or one important thing to really stress here for the future of this conversation about money scripts we're about to have is that money scripts themselves aren't inherently positive or negative. It's entirely based on the circumstance and the same money script can shift from positive to negative, depending on how that person's life happens to be going and how they're applying it. Absolutely true. The money scripts just are, they can be true. They can be false. They can work. They cannot work. And typically the more a person believes what they believe about money is true, probably the more potential a problem in their life that money script has given them or will give them hmm. like, like money is power. And some folks will just say, well, how, how can that not be true? And when you really start to unpack it, you know, money can, can, can be completely limiting and take away a lot of power. So I've never run into a money script that, that was just absolutely true in a hundred percent of the time. Have you, I mean, as with anything, I'm sure you said each person has somewhere between 50 and 200. That must mean there's, there's a vast totality if you're looking at all the possibilities for a money script. Are there any that are prescriptively negative? Obviously, we've just said that they're not negative all the time, but are there any that you see them and it immediately will set off warning bells? Not, not necessarily. I mean, you could, you can have, I mean, any money script can, can set off warning bells if it's if it's really rigid and inflexible. Mm -hmm. So you could say money is good. Well, you know, money can also be bad. So you can have a money script, money's evil, money's bad. Well, not <laughs> 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 in, in every case. So the, now if, if, we, if we were to dissect uh, Buffett and his relationship with money, he may have a lot of money scripts that would be like this. Sometimes money can be used for evil and sometimes money can be used for good. Now that is a wonderful money script to have. Why? Because it's flexible. Anytime there's a can, may, might in a money script, it's probably a money script that is fairly healthy that it, because there, there's flexibility in it. Yeah, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's evil, sometimes it just is. And that's the goal when we're working on our money scripts is how can we build flexibility into a money script that starts off, money is just evil. Um, so, and one thing I noticed as you talked about uh, Buffett, there's four categories that money scripts fall into. Money avoidant money scripts, money worship, money scripts, money status, money scripts, and money vigilant money scripts. And 
all of those are general attitudes that a person will have around money. And I, I was noticing uh, when you were describing Buffett that he probably is something called a money vigilant money scripts, especially with his frugality. And none, none of those particular categories are good or bad because they have positives and they have negatives. So all this is highly context-based. And now that we sort of have an idea of, of what we're talking about when we say money script, as an advisor, I mean, I imagine the first step in, in trying to learn money scripts and to, to address them is to identify them. So, I mean, how should advisors go about sort of starting to identify these behaviors and these ingrained programs in their clients? Yeah, fortunately, there is a clinically tested evaluation that anyone can take. And it's called the KMSI-R, the Quants Money Script Inventory Revised. You could Google that. Brad Quants, who is one of my co-authors, a psychologist, has come up with this and tested it. And he has it online. Uh, it's also in, in, in paper form. It's just one page. I think it might have 32 or 39 questions. You can take that, score it. And it will give you a pretty accurate view of which of those categories are your most dominant, which would be the least dominant in between. And it's often the place that I'll start with a client in getting into uh, what their money scripts are. So that's, the, that's like a 10-minute way to get a good idea of a person and how they react with money. And, and so, for example, I work with uh, a lot of therapists and hang around a lot of therapists being a, finan a certified financial therapist. And as a profession, therapists tend to be money avoidant. That would be somebody that says money's evil. I wish money was never invented. Commerce is evil. I don't want to look at money. I don't want to think about money. I don't want to even have to deal with money. And as a profession, they have a high percentage of them that fall into that category. The same would probably be with any real helping profession like the ministry, clergy, folks like that. And then the, the money vigilant tend to be folks that have a lot of money. They, and they'll have money scripts like, it's not okay to talk about money. I don't want to reveal to you what I'm worth. Um, to, talking about money is taboo, spending money is, is taboo. Certainly Scrooge would have fallen into the money vigilant <laughs> area. But they also tend to have a lot of anxiety around money. And like, I, th I think we can certainly throw Scrooge into this category. I mean, he lived, he, he might as well not had any money. You know, he ate gruel, which was the poorest of the poor food. He didn't, he didn't spend his money. He didn't enjoy life. This was before he was transformed. So what, what was the point? And, and a high percentage of clients and folks listening to this podcast uh, have been able to accumulate wealth. And part of the most common denominator I find in being able to accumulate wealth isn't the job, the amount of money, the investments, it's the ability to be frugal, exactly what Buffett shows. That's the most common denominator. And that's not something a person just turns off when they retire, 
And it's one of the biggest struggles I find my clients go through. And I'm thinking right now of a client, I told him, you know, you can be spending 125,000 a year and just be completely fine. And they are spending 40. <laughs> and their house had some problems. There were boards out in the decks. There were exposed wires. I mean, a real hazard. Their car wasn't up to date. And when a person can't spend that money to protect themselves, to make life a little safer for them, for medical, for things like that, it's a real problem. So obviously this question is going to have different answers based on the client, but in, in your experience, how receptive are clients to the idea of money scripts? I think, you know, if we're talking about high net worth individuals and particularly sort of wealth creators and Americans, I think that there's something ingrained in this sort of this self, you know, self-made, self-controlled, sort of like I've done everything on my own idea of you're self-motivated. And then to tell them that, well, actually, a lot of what you do is sort of your money destiny in a way, right? That was ingrained in you before you were even aware of what money was in a way. How do the clients tend to take that? Yeah, I find most clients are just really open and, and quite curious when we uh, get into money scripts. And, and the, the biggest response I hear is, well, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're dealing with spouses. Yep, I always knew that about him. Yeah, honey, I knew you were that. So typically, there's not there's not a lot of surprise in that. the The surprise might be especially for money vigilance that 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 frugality wouldn't be something that would be absolutely that absolutely wanted. That if frugality is a state for all seasons, and you know they they just uh, can can bump up against, well, could there can't be any possible downside to being a money vigilant, right? I just don't see a downside. And other types will, will say, yeah, we need to aspire to be a money vigilant. And so you can get that type of, of judgment where all the other, you know, every, every, every category of money scripts has something to be admired, to be desired, and something to to want to uh, fill in some holes on, so it, there's just not one that's that's really better than another, but a balance. Ultimately, you'd want like an equal amount of everything to have that balance mm -hmm. and moderation. And so, as advisors, you know, we, we talked in, the, in this uh, conversation so far, we sort of identified what money scripts are, and sort of their nature, and a little bit about how to identify them. But then, I mean, ultimately, this is all towards the goal of changing them in a lot of situations, right? right. And especially in, in a situation where we found, as you've said, that the most dangerous money scripts, and I have to imagine the most, uh, the ones that you need to change the most are the most inflexible ones. So how does that, like, how do you go about trying to change these, you know, make an active change, first of all, to something that is subconscious and that is by its nature, a lot of the times inflexible. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why we came up with financial therapy. <laughs> <laughs> So as, as you said about Warren Buffett, he's very aware. And that is the first step, is being aware. I can't tell you how many times a client, once we've worked together for a number of years and something will happen, they'll go, oh, there's my money script talking, or there goes my money script. And it, it's, it's probably that a person's going to have a, 
a tendency toward that money script. I mean, I fall into the money vigilant. If I take that KSMIR, you know, I might've had a little moderation here or there, but typically we, we are still certainly under pressure, often going to revert to that core learning, like that neural path that's in our brain. But just being aware is really helpful. And sometimes a person can change them cognitively. I mean, I say 20% of money behaviors that are deemed illogical by you or somebody else. And what we know is that no money behavior is illogical at its core. It makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs of the money scripts. So the money scripts can help us understand that's why I overspend, underspend, am stuck in this area or whatever that that may be. So 20% of those can be changed just by going, oh, I get it, a cognitive realization. I'll just, I'll change my behavior. Unfortunately, 80% of us, we are aware of it. We want to change it. We see that it's destructive. We see that self-sabotaging. And we end up doing the same thing. And, and advisors see this all the time with a client that will say, yep, 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 I'm going to do that. Yep, the head's nodding. I'm going to do that. And they come in for the next meeting. How's it going? Oh, well, this and this and this came up. Great, I'll do it next time. They come in for another meeting. How's it going? Oh, man, not so good. And that's when it's, it's a really become, it's a, an emotional blockage. And so there's, you know, numbers of things to do. I know what we used to do in financial therapy workshops that we had five days together with somebody. You know, one thing would be helpful is to go to some, somebody, trusted friend. I even like a group of trusted friends and say, this is my money script. I can't see it any other way. Would you guys give me all the options on this money script and I'll shut up <laughs> why, you, why you talk because a person will have a tendency to argue. And I remember clients that said that the only thing that you can give a child that can't be taken away is an education at a private school. Now that was, that was cast in stone. That was absolute ruth. To them. And I remember them sitting in a circle of people giving them other things like, well, maybe the one thing you can give a child that can't be given away, taken away is love. You know, a, an education can be worthless if it's in the wrong thing, even if it's at a private school. And they went on and on and gave all sorts of variations of that. And it was just life changing for them to hear the other possibilities and consider that. So that's a way to start it. And then, of course, just in uh, getting with a financial therapist and, and unpacking where did that script come from? When did it start? What were the circumstances? And I can't tell you the people that just have these huge ahas after doing a little bit of work, uh, a little bit of deeper work around where that came from. It really is an interesting concept, just to, you know, I was talking about it now. I actually thought, and I chuckled to myself now about it because it's such a goofy example, but I had a, a friend growing up when we were younger who would value change more than paper money to the point that he would, you know, if he didn't have change, he would take 75 cents in quarters for a dollar. 
And it was all because he liked to have change in his pocket because his dad had always told him that girls like guys who jingle. Oh, that's <laughs> great. And it was just, yeah, it was, now thinking about that, I always thought that was a silly thing. But now looking at it through this lens, it's like, oh, he didn't even have a, you know, <laughs> it's kind of, it's a sillier version of the same sort of problem. You know, that that is a great example, uh, David, because, that's, you know, you, you as you started describing that, I'm like, wow, <laughs> you're rational. And then we understand what the underlying belief is. Oh, this is how you get get girls to like you. I, I'll gladly give up 25 cents on a buck <laughs> so my pockets can jingle and I'll be attractive. I think it's similar to a three-year-old puts a penny in their mouth and the mom comes screaming, I take that thing out of your mouth and reaches in their mouth, takes, that's dirty, that's half the germs, it could kill you. And, and they grow up with the idea of money is dirty. Money's, you don't want money, man. <laughs> money will kill you. And you can tie it back to something that would seem so trivial that the parent wouldn't even remember that particular incident and certainly didn't have the intention of sending them the, the message money's dirty and money will kill you. Uh, that's so, these, so much of therapy has going on there, right? That, that just sort of extends into this financial therapy realm. I mean, all, obviously all of our parents messed us up. That's unavoidable. <laughs> Everyone was messed up somehow by their parents and probably in ways their parents never even considered intending. It's not like uh, most of these money scripts aren't necessarily from a parent who sat their child down and said, I'm going to teach you about money today. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes I've had parents say, well, okay, now that I know this, can I be really careful and give the right money scripts to my kids? Well, no, <laughs> you can't. Because, you know, my, my daughter once at four, I said, what do you think about rich people? Rich people are our snotty dad. <laughs> rich people are not nice. And if we go by the Gallup poll of what is rich, which is a million dollars or more, just about everybody in her life that she loved and adored was rich. So where did that come from? It, it wasn't something that, that I gave her consciously. Uh, did it come from society? Did it come from other kids? Where did it come from? Uh, oftentimes there's no answer. So I would just tell parents to relax. Uh, you're probably not going to be able to control the money scripts that your child comes up, that they are reactions to watching you, but they could be the absolute opposite reaction that, that you would intend. So you know, if I understand what you're saying here, it, more time is, is better spent in ensuring that your kids are aware of the money scripts that you've given them rather than trying to proactively give them different, better money scripts. Yes, and just teaching them about money and how it works and, and being open and transparent and honest and having money talks. I mean, I hear constantly that money was never talked about in our house. It was always under the carpet, it was always under the radar. It was uh, always the, the, the non-verbal, non-spoken word that you need to have understood. So just having uh, discussions around money, helping them learn to shop, helping manage allowance and tasks correctly. Uh, a lot of these things can go a long way to helping them instill good money habits. But of course, it, there's no guarantee. 
Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time here. I'd like to thank Rick Kaler for, for being an awesome guest and for really helping unpack what is a pretty vast subject for us. Thank you, Rick. Yeah, thank you. It was great to be with you. And for all our listeners, I'll see you, or I guess you'll hear me, on the next episode of Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous. Thank you for listening to the Celebrity Estates Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast. Click the subscribe button below to become notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InformaWealthManagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.